Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Betfair's Wade In podcast. And we have plenty to discuss again this week. Loads of action on the tracks and good performances. And as a result, some movers and shakers in the Oaks and Derby markets. Uh, and of course, the Royal Ascot betting as well. Plenty to get stuck into. We've seen some standout performances, I think it's fair to say. And loads of news away from the track too. So... Plenty to get through on this show, joined as always by Tony Calvin. How are you, TC? All good. Cheers to you too. Brendan Duke in a new location, but looking fresh as always. How are you? Oh, thanks very much, Vanessa. Yes, uh, I, I'm, I'm fed, fed watered and washed good, good, good form. I've been doing doggy daycare for the last two days, but my shift is almost over. So that's good news. Doggy daycare, interesting. Okay, I don't, I don't really feel like you're the sort of person that I would trust to care for my dogs. But yeah, that's, that's uh, interesting. I, I, I think, um, I, I think you, you have good instincts. I'm, I'm not great with, with dogs, although the odd trap six has done me a turn. <laughs> <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Uh, and Kevin Blake, how are you this fine Monday morning? Yeah, great farm, Vanessa. Yeah, yeah. Got a got a bit sunburned the other day, but life is good. Yeah, why not? Lovely. Right. We're going to crack straight on with the weekend review, which is really the week review because we saw some top class performances, as I was saying, at Chester and elsewhere too. But let's focus in on the classic division, on the three-year-olds, and we'll kick off uh, with the Colts, I suppose. And let's start with, well, we've got military order to discuss, who obviously won at Lingfield, the derby trial on the all-weather, but a rest first and foremost, winning up at Chester for team Frankie, Gosden and Judmont is now 5-1 to one from 10s for the derby after that performance, and military order is 4-5, from five. but we will kick off, Brendan, I think, with a rest. Um, well, actually, is it? let's look at the derby picture as a whole. Of the performances we saw this weekend military order and arrest being the two standout ones i suppose who impressed you the most who put their head above the parapet and shook up the derby market the most well shook up the derby market it's a very muddled picture vanessa i suppose military order i i did like the way military order uh, went went about his business he looks a big unit on the telly and i know it can be hard to tell but he seemed to be head and shoulders above the horses in that race I thought he was impressive. I really liked the way he went through the line. I particularly liked the manoeuvre he made turning for home as well, because for what appears to, to my eye to be a big horse, Buick was happy to manoeuvre him to the inside when he saw the gap. So the fact that he's quite light in his feet will be useful when it comes to handling the idiosyncrasies of Epsom. Um, I, I mean, arrest was what was impressive as well. But I mean, I'll just throw a few numbers at you here. Six and a half, 10, 97. Three, they were the distances between the first five horses. I mean, this is absolutely incredible scenes. It was the horses beating a furlong. Uh, so I'm just not sure about, particularly on the Wednesday, taking that Chester form too seriously. Uh, the, the other slight concern about him is he, he has quite a pronounced knee action and he was a little bit keen in the early stages. Now, I was looking at the dam. It, 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 Arrest himself handled quick ground on, on his first two starts and the dam before she was upgraded to Franco, she bred a couple of good horses, spring loaded and Denotso. And they were both very ground versatile horses. So I might be making too much of his of his knee action, but I feel like military order is a more straightforward horse. He's a guaranteed stare, as is arrest in fairness, but he, he's a guaranteed stare. And I think he's a worthy Dar- Derby Fav for what is to 
bring it back to my original point, a muddled Derby picture. Yeah, muddled, I think it's fair to say. August Rodin is still joint favourite with military order at the top of the market, Kev. And on what we've seen of him, obviously, in the Guineas versus um, what we've seen of military order and arrest and the rest, um, does he deserve to be joint top of the market? Are we, are we trading on his sort of trainer, chat, reputation, et cetera, et cetera, or on what he did at two, does he deserve to be joint favourite, August Rodin? Yeah, sure. Look, it's a difficult one. Would, would you like to be laying him at eight or ten to one? You know, assuming he gets there, geez, I don't know if I'd want to be. Um, look, it, it's it's fairly unprecedented, I'd say, uh, for a horse to be so prominent in the market for the derby after such a bad run, but that's not to say it can't happen. Um challenging one this um, because we, we've seen the, these derby trials in the last week and I think it's fair to say no one has jumped up and punched it in the mouth punch, punched it in the mouth and put their stamp on it um, like a rest as the lads say like look he's 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 so prominent in the market I would dare say as much because of what he done it too as the other day because you know he's got that group one form in the book because I, I don't know how much that that race at Chester is worth because for me you know the conditions were very testing and Adelaide River couldn't raise a gallop um, from the turn in you know from before the turn in so John Gosden was very downbeat beforehand you know I felt he wasn't quite there yet was kind of seemed to be um, prepping the scene for a defeat but obviously he went and won well um, time was unremarkable um, as Brendan says lifts his knee you know it's not to say you can't win a derby lifting your knee you know high chaparral at AR there's, there's plenty of examples of it. Um, but he just didn't set me a light now. But I did like military order. I did like him. I oh. like the way he did it. He's a full brother to Adiar. He's a, he's a he's a more fluent mover than Adiar, I dare say. Um, I love the the two of set he showed us, as Brendan alluded to there, like he, he was well into the bridle all the way when the when the when the unlikely gap came, like he 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 really burst into it and threw it. Um now you, you can pick and puck at the bare form if you like, and that's fair enough. But um, I think there's an awful lot of promise in him. We, 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 it's, he's a difficult one to put your finger on, just how much class he has at the minute. But um, I like his tool set, as they say, Vanessa. Um, it was great that that race was switched to the all-weather um, after the, the rain fell at Lingfield. Like, Lingfield all-weather track is a, is a challenge. The turf track is an even bigger challenge in terms of undulations, but it, it's good to see that he dealt with it as well as he did. Um, Epson will be another step up again, a uh, significant step up again in terms of challenges, but um, like he passed Lingfield all weather with flying colours. And um, yeah, I did, I did find myself liking him quite a bit now. Okay, so positives about military order from the boys then, TC. Um, is the Derby picture much clearer for you in your mind now, or is it as muddled in your head as it is for Brendan and the rest. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's four to one the field, isn't it? And, you, you know, obviously you'd rather military order over August Rodan. August Rodan is a lot weaker on the exchange than, than the fixed odds suggest. Um, arrest, I was normally quite, I was initially quite dismissive of that. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's two-year-old form stands up. Um, you know, it's not going to be quick ground in the derby, so... John Gosden can can rest easy there, can't he? How do we know that? Right? How do we know that? Well, they're water, aren't they? Oh, well, oh, yeah, but they're knocking the water down to good to soft if there's no rain. Really? 
<laughs> I have more faith. I have more faith in uh, than you than that. Um, um, no, it's we'll come on to that. We've saved the last dance comments is in a moment. I mean, even look, it's it's, it's got form on better ground. I mean, even the rest form earlier on. I mean, even his Foss last win over a mile. I mean, that came on good to soft ground. I mean, he beat a decent horse, pointless there, Sea of Roses, that's come out and run really well since this season. Um, now, I, I'm, pro I'm probably warm to arrest most at the top end of the market, but obviously we got the Dante this week and we saw what happened in the Dante last year and something like Passenger might really stamp their mark on the race. But at, at the moment, there's nothing that stands out at the top of the, the, top of the market, uh, for sure, for me. Okay, so if the Derby picture is a little bit murky, as the boys have discussed, um, the Oaks picture less murky off the back of the Chester Oaks going the way of Save the Last Dance, as TC's already alluded to, and also Brendan in terms of winning distances at Chester. Uh, she is now five to four at the top of the market from five to one for the Oaks at Epsom following this absolute romp and winning by a multitude of lengths, basically the home straight. The rest of them, I think it was quoted as saying, simply just giving up in behind on the ground. Uh, Brendan, often when something is too good to be true, we, you know, it is just too good to be true. How mm. are you viewing this performance? It was easy to get excited about it, about that injection of pace you put in on the home turn. It's easy to jump on the bandwagon and say this horse is the second coming off the back of that performance, but is it too good to be true is my question to you. I mean, it, pro it probably is. Uh, I, I, I might be the most objective uh, witness because I, I, I really like this video. That, that, okay, I, 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 her tactical versatility now that she showed, she made the run in Leopardstown. She was held up at, out the back in Chester. She's a really strong stayer. Uh, she's got the pedigree. The dam was a ground versatile uh, sort, as 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 much a, a, as you, you, you get um, variations in, in ground on uh, American turf. We know she's she's going to stay. And I I don't maybe I'm I'm reading too much into this, but I remember when we talked about her after Leopardstown, she was twenty five to one for the Oaks. And then I I hadn't been paying attention to this at all, but I just had a look before uh, she ran in Chester, and she was into six to one fab. Now, I know we're dealing with the liquid markets. And again, should I intuit too much? Of, would, would that suggest to you, Vanessa Biddy-Ryle, I put it to you, that perhaps she has come alive in her homework since Leopardstown? Because she's obviously been, she hadn't been working to warm herself since then. But maybe just the win in Leopardstown triggered something in her and she's really started to improve hand over foot. And I feel like I come on here a lot of the time and I'm, 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 I'm here to educate. Of course, I, I gave great insight there last week when I told you about William Haggis liking to have winners in York. And you've probably never heard this before, but um, Aidan O'Brien is very good with fillies when they get on a roll. They, 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 they can really improve out of hand. So there, there's a little bit of information for you going forward. New insights. Yeah, That's yeah. what people tune into in this part. New insights. TC. Uh, how are you viewing Save the Last Dance at, the, at this point? When you see a performance like that, when you look at it for a betting for a classic, she's mm. been cut so short because it was so impressive. But mm. does that mean that there's value elsewhere? Are we believing that performance? And is her price right at the top of the market? Well, Infinite Cosmos was one of Maiden, um, and that's second favourite. And I think look, Save the Last Dance is into six to four on the exchange. And I think that's about her price. I mean, there's, I mean, if you're talking about the Derby, nothing's really kind of coming out and grabbing you. Nothing's doing that in the Oaks either. 
Um, Except this Philly shot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like, would I back at six to four? No. But, you know, if she was like evens on the day with a field, field running up on it, I might consider it because you know, there's nothing not to like about her. I mean, it's like, even if you take a, a very conservative view of that form, she's probably run up to a level not far off winning an average Oaks, is she? I mean, people were talking about, oh, you know, it might be different on different grounds. You know, it could well be natural soft. We've we've seen that this week. I mean, it's been torrential downpours turning Lingfield into a quagmire. And but actually, coming back to the Lingfield running on the weather, there were some people talking on Twitter. Uh, some trainers apparently on the day there that walked the walked the turf course on the Saturday and said it was no worse than good to soft. So I know they had to make an early decision, but you know, nature might dictate its soft ground anywhere without any watering and. Coming back to the uh, coming back to what Brendan alluded to about her pedigree, say the last time. I mean, the, the dam's a Grade One winner on firm ground. You go and have a look at a, a, a performance record in in the states. It was all on firm ground, um, you know, and and that might what led to kind of like post race comments from the owner and, and Ryan's are saying, look, better ground might even suit her better. So I have no problems with her price of six to four now because you okay. go down the betting. And there is nothing that you can seriously put up against at the moment. Of course, in the Musadora this week, we might have a standout performance from Infinite Cosmos, etc. But at the moment, no qualms about whether that price. Six to four on the exchange is pretty much her price. Uh, Kev, we saw Eternal Hope win the Lingfield uh, Oaks trial. Uh, it was obviously an Oaks and Derby trial double for Godolphin and she would have to be supplemented for the Oaks. Given what the boys have said in regards to the Derby being this murky pitcher, just one standout performance in the Oaks currently for the Oaks pitcher. Are we looking at a average enough crop of three-year-olds? I know this is a question that we band around each year and people like to put a downer on it, but at this stage right now, if you had to commit to saying whether we were looking at a good bunch of three-year-olds or an average bunch what would you say Kev? I'd say that there's a big strong possibility of a lack of depth um, okay. but to be honest like I, I think that's kind of where we're going in general what um, do you mean? I dare say um, like I, I think a lot of very promising young horses are getting stripped out of our, our jurisdictions early um, and I think that's inevitably going to hit the, the end product by the time we get to the classics um, I think that's just an. I think that's just an inevitability, and um, the number of good horses le- leaving um, Ireland and the UK is going up statistically all the time, and has been for a while, and, and it's just inevitable. Um, and like we're 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 just at the at the back end of the Galileo era in terms of middle distance, you know, which has you know dominated really the middle distance sphere for you know w- over a decade, and that's now coming to an end. Um, look, there'll be the, those Galileos will be will be replaced in Valley Doyle by by other sires, but they they will they don't have as dominant a middle distance sire as Galileo. Um, waiting the wings, we'll we'll wait and see how Wooden Bassett develops and how well they stay when they're paired with the Galileo mares, etc. But um, it's all a bit more wide open, and I think outside of um Coolmore and Godolphin, um, I think that there's there's a fair old there's a fair old um talent drain going on. We know Shadwell has shrunk. We know Judmont has shrunk after um the deaths of their um of their headmen. So yeah, it's it's an interesting sphere, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if this sort of chat is almost the norm 
um, in the years ahead. Like we have a lot of classics. Like we've we've a, we've a full we've a full set in Ireland, a full set in England, and a full set in France. And um, and they can't all be great races. That's an absolute certainty. Just very quickly, I know we've got to move on. Do you mean are they being stripped out as foals and yearlings? Is no, no, more, more, no. After after they've run generally, after oh, they've been run generally, run yeah. Germany, would, yeah. Would the uh, there been a lot of overseas buying of foals and yearlings, like of uh, Japan coming in for yearlings and the like? No, no, no not not Japanese for yearlings. A lot of Americans buying yearlings. Um, like it's happening at the yearling sales too. And the numbers like, like the, behind the Americans at book one. I don't have them to hand, but are like they're staggering the amount of Americans that come over now to book one to farm the book one sale, go back to America and, you know, try and take those turf races over there with our European breads. But then yeah. like Kev's saying, it's more the market and the private market for you have a two-year-old or a maybe a three-year-old in the early part of the year, it runs a good race, the phone rings, you get a private buyer from abroad and you sell because all the issues we've discussed regularly on the pod not enough prize money to stay at home, too expensive. Not all owners can reject that sort of money. And you're getting offers for a horse that might have won or come second on race course debut of like, you know, six big six figures. And why wouldn't you, Sam? Yeah, like like if you look at Iron Garden is the one that I pay most attention to. But if you look at any um, maiden, the, the two-year-old maiden was probably starting, probably starting a couple of weeks ago, but from then on, and the three-year-old maidens as well. If you look down through the first four of any of those, right, and a horse that is owned by someone that is a possibility to sell and that passes the vet, you know, they'll, they'll just be substantial money there, like the, an hour and after the race to, like, to, to, to buy them, you know? Yeah. Because like you say, Vanessa, there's just like literally dozens of agents based all over yeah. the world that all, have, that all have the same offers to buy nice tried horses, and and they they literally it's just automatic, you know. Fin- finish second yeah. in the maiden at Leopardstown, owned owned by someone the that isn't yeah. that that isn't Cool Morgan Alpha, and they're on the phone, they're offering three four hundred grand, you know. And it's just the some case. Friends of mine, the, uh, yeah, some friends of mine, just as an example, like they their horse won a barrier trial last year over in Ireland, and I think yeah yeah won a barrier trial and. um then went to the race course, ran a really good race course debut, didn't win, but then big offer from America, obvious case of selling. They're just small time owners. It was just a no brainer. The horse actually didn't uh, pass the bet in the end. So it all fall, fell through. But the point was, is that sale from the, from the moment the horse crossed the line to agreeing a price, it was like a matter of hours, you know, it was just like, yeah, yeah we'll have him anyway. Let's yeah. move on. Uh, Brendan, should we give a quick mention to Peking Opera? who grounded out when we saw him at Navin, was it? Um, he's now 12 to 1 for the St. Ledger. He looked like a pretty slow, steady plodder to my eye. Um, was there anything <laughs> to take out of further three-year-old division that you'd like to give a mention to, including him or not him? Uh, well, we, we should give him a mention. That that, that, that race can throw up a, a good horse, and there were some interesting horses in it. Um, he got quite worked up in the preliminaries, actually. Now, I'm not talking about uh, sweating. He's by Galileo. I mean, what, what, what are you going to do if they all sweat? But he, he was quite towy and, and, and went down to the start, Keeney. So I was a bit worried about him there. The Heft did a great job of getting him settled. He got him quite relaxed, and he was well on top of the line. 
Um, he, 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 Heffernan certainly didn't ask for everything. Now, they were all in a heap in behind and he only won by three quarters of a length. So what the form's worth, I'd be very sceptical. And they weren't making very bullish noises afterwards. They said sort of Queen's Vaz, Ledger horse. But that was, I mean, that was only the third run of his life. And if they can keep a lid on him, there, he, he looks a very strong stare and there, there is an engine there. But I just, be, I just have a nagging concern about his temperament going forward. Yeah, they, they went okay. slow. Like, I, I think he did. Like, I wouldn't mind him. Now, look, you can clearly put a cap on the form, but I didn't mind him now because he, he was the only one to come from off the pace. Um, like, he, he stays very well. Like, he's a lovely mover. He's surely going to be better on better ground. Um, he, he's by Galileo. He's actually out of a full sister to um, Air Force Blue. Remember him? Remember how good he was as a two-year-old? Oh, and yeah. then not so, and then and then and then not so much as a three year old, but um, yeah, I wouldn't mind him. I wouldn't mind him. That was a kind of a sneaky ledger horse, maybe. But um, yeah, I, I can understand why you'd want to put a cap on it. Okay, uh, sprint division time. We saw Creative Force back in action, back to winning ways. He's now five to one favourite from seventh with the Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee Stakes at Royal Ascot. Uh, now coming back as a five-year-old TC, do we expect him to be as good as ever this season, if not better? Um, don't know about better, but it's a kind of like division that's very, very open, isn't it? And, you know, obviously disappointing in the Abenant, that was much more like it. Beat a decent horse of levels very easily um, at uh, last week. Yeah, I was only beaten a neck in the race last year. So yeah, he's, he's like he's very prominent up there in the betting. As is Sacred, who won at Lingfield um, uh, on Saturday as well. That was Sacred was only beaten a length in the race last year. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're two of many that have got their chance in that kind of race, but it's not really a betting heat for me. Uh, Sorry, I hate to do this because when we moved on from a topic, we moved on, and Barry all will be cross about this. Mm. But I just forgot to ask: Does anyone think that Wyperio at sixteen from thirty threes for the Derby, off the back of giving military order a run, who's now obviously four to one? Like, just just as a one-word answer, Brendan, I'll ask you: Is he a value? Is he a bit of value at 16s? I was quite taken that he could give military order a race like he did. And are we ignoring him? Quick answer. Uh, yes, uh, I, I mean he, he's a, he's a progressive horse. I just thought military order turned him away very easily in the end. I'd be quite surprised if the form was turned around at Epsom. But you are getting four times the price. So. Yeah. Okay. Fine. He's got a mention on the pod then. Um, just, just very quickly, if you are becking horses like that, just factor in the case they may just bypass Epsom, go straight to something like that. King Edward the Seventh for uh, uh, Royal Ascot, Martin. Lee. And look, some some horses with that kind of profile skip the big one and go to Royal Ascot, which would be disappointing. But anyway, we shall move on. Um, give me the beat boys has been introduced at thirty threes for the Coventry Kev. Um, this horse with a strange old name for the Jesse Harrington Yard wins on debut. Um, but apparently I should know the relevance of the name. Do you? Um, well, I didn't know, but I found out after. Um, it's after a lyric in a song called Drift Away by, by a gentleman called Dobie Gray. And it's actually a, quite a catchy tune. So <laughs> I'll put that one on after, after you listen to this. But um, yeah, trained by Jessica Harrington, um, owned by the Mernans um, of Banter House Stables. Um, fair play to them. Very, um, very inexpensively bought yearling, um, 11 grand, um, and goes and gets the job done first time. Uh, the phone will be ringing, <laughs> I dare suggest. Um, because yeah. in fairness, like that, like she got there's a lot of stamina on this page now. 
um, by Bungle in the Jungle now, who is an out-and-out sprinter and produces a lot of out-and-out sprinters. But um, I remember the dam winning a few for, for John Ox over a mile and a half and um, is a half-sister to Lismore, who you might re- recall um, last year being, being quite a smart stayer for Henry de Bromhead. Um, you know, literally stayed two and a half miles around in, the, in, in that race behind Kiprios, where Kiprios went walkabout. Um, so, yeah, lovely start. Um, came up the near side. Don't know if that was the place to be. Um, subsequent events on the card suggest that it probably wasn't. So, yeah, lovely start. Um, but Marble Hill, two weeks' time. If it doesn't come too soon, that that would seem an obvious one. And then um, they'll be hoping to to drive on to Royal Ascot after that, I'd imagine. Okay. Um, we can stick with fast two-year-olds and we'll give the Ziggies a mention. Uh, Ziggy's Phoenix has been introduced at 14 to 1 for the Queen Mary off the back of winning at Chester, the Lily Agnes beating Ziggy's Dream in the same ownership colours, but for different trainers, of course. And then Ballon d'Or, who's a horse who was terribly drawn, but I think has had... Uh, was given good talk beforehand, was back in third. So it might not turn out to be a bad renewal of the Lily Agnes, Brendan. Um, sharp two-year-olds to the four. Who were you most taken with out of the two-year-old race at Chester? Well, I suppose Z- Z- Ziggy's Dream. I didn't think Ziggy's Dream had a, a, a great trip and shaped like the best horse in the race. Uh, the winner will be going to the Queen Mary with, with plenty of experience and is an, is an improving sort, but will have to step up again. To, to win that race okay step forward steps forward needed then um should we give a quick mention to i'm just whacking through these because we've got plenty of good questions and good news topics to talk about uh point lonsdale was another aiden o'brien winner at chester taking the oh my god the hucks the Sorry, the Huxley Stakes, they all merge into one there for me. Um, he backed up, obviously, his good season, seasonal comeback in that race and is now about a 5-2 to two joint favourite with Emily Upjohn for the Coronation Cup. Is he on the improve this year, TC? Um, yeah, possibly. Possibly. It's like you say, all, the, all these performances, I mean, just take it as, just take it as on the day. I mean, Coronation Cup... Five to two, is it going to go there? Uh, but yeah, I mean, they they clearly think they've got him back after problems um, at two, and obviously didn't see him after the Guineas. But yeah, I mean, no, that's I haven't really got an opinion about going forwards. You yeah, know, I, like, I, I like I like I like this yeah. We should give oh. we should go to Brendan here because he was so so certain of victory on the race. Oh, yeah. how, was he on that? Oh, he was on that. Uh, th- th- thanks very much, very much, Vanessa. Yeah, that little prompt I gave you obviously worked. Uh, yeah, if you come to me for those five to four winners, I'm all I'm all over that. Uh, but <laughs> I I just uh, th- th- thought it would be interesting. Will we see him in headgear in the Coronation Cup? I definitely think we'll see him in the Coronation Cup because surely Aiden has in his mind that the return of the king is imminent. So try to win as many races as you can before Desert Crown comes back and mops up the uh, all-age division. But with, with, with Point Lonsdale, so Ryan came out afterwards and said, no, it was a Chester thing. It's not that, it, but, but he, it, it's not that, he, that he's lazy, but he, even as a two-year-old, he could be inclined to race a bit behind the bridle. Now, it, he's, never, he's never put headgear on him and he did travel quite sweetly in the Curra and come back until about, three furlongs out when Lorden had to get after him and he dug in as he does he's an absolute warrior of the turf but I just think it'd be interesting Will Aiden under normal circumstances I'd expect him 
they'll put headgear on this horse in the Coronation Cup because he just he will probably need to travel a bit better early in the race against the likes of an uh, Emily Upjohn, Westover, a rejuvenated Hurricane Line, uh, 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 Hurricane Lane, should I say? Or will he trust Ryan and say no? It was a Chester thing, and he'll travel. I mean, Chester and Epsom are such different tracks, but they both have their idiosyncrasies. I th- I feel like he'll overrule Ryan in this one, put headgear on with the Coronation Cup, and he's a massive runner in it. Wow. Okay. And Kev, you were piping up like you were as keen. Yeah, no, I liked him as well. Um, like he, he looked in big trouble a long way out. Um, like I don't know. I, like I don't think he loves that ground either. You know, I know he's got loads of form on it, but geez, he's a good moving horse, and um, the the ground and the track were combining. I'd say to make him look very dour. But I'd say he has definite scope to improve up in trip as well. Um, like look where they back him up quick and go to Epsom. Um, or wait for the Hardwick, which is a race I think would really suit him, but ultimately is a group two, whereas the Coronation Cup is a group one. Um, so look, that that may, that may dictate, but uh, but I do like him. I think he's better than both wins this season suggest he is. And yeah, looking forward to um, to seeing him on better ground up and trip. Should we give a quick mention to the action in France? Obviously, we saw the uh, French 1,000, 2,000 guineas, and we saw a surprise winner in Mahaba Ah. Yeah, Sanafi. Not easy Roll, to say. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. 33 to 1 winner. Uh, seeing off painfully, really, Isaac Shelby, who obviously swerved the 2,000 guineas over here. They committed to the French option and it looked like it was going to go his way. And then in the dying stages, an outsider at 33s nabs him on the line. I did feel sorry for him, Kev, I must say. I thought that was going to be his classic and you know it would have been huge wouldn't it for connections the story behind Brian me and etc etc but alas no fairy tales and no more in this game yeah sure look at um Marhaba Yasanafi um had finished behind American flag the time before like like kind of well beaten by him um had that shaped well in his own way but look you I think it's a, it was a shock to everyone that the form was turned around but a lot of it was the run of the race um, they they didn't seem to go mad at all. It seemed to be difficult to come from off the pace. Um, the winner was was sitting up in the box seat there all the way. And Isaac Shelby, for all that he had a, a beautiful spot, I'd say he could have done with them going faster because he was he was quite keen. He was quite keen. He got a lovely gap at the cutaway. Looked like he was going to go win, but he just got run down. Um, look, it was it was a very good run from him. Um, I don't know if they'll go to Ascot now and throw him in the mix against all the new market horses, which would be mighty. I, su- I suspect that's what they'll do. Um, I don't think he'll be venturing uh, further than a mile for the time being. Anyway, he looks he looks sharp at the trip to me. Um, and yeah, look that that, that St James's Palace stakes is is bubbling up into into a right race. So yeah, sad for Brian Meehan. Um, I think. Um, did I read after the race? It's, it's been just over a decade, I think, since his last group one. So this would have this would have meant an awful lot. Um, new connections had bought into him uh, the week before the race. Um, so yeah, t- tough defeat most likely, but um, he's still a very good horse, and he, he may well get group one compensation uh, later in this season. Now there's a question now. That'll be an interesting one to price up. How you how you stick him in amongst uh, Caldine and all that? Caldine would be would be clear of I'm sure, but. Um, yeah, it'd be an interesting little mixer now with the second and third from Newmarket and, and this fellow as well thrown into the mix. Well, he's unchanged at five to one currently in the St. James's Palace market, a race that I think like Kev could be an absolute cracker this year, just in terms of depth and competitiveness. 
in that mall division. Uh, let's move on because, as I've been saying throughout the show, loads of topics. But I tell you very, 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 very quickly, Vanessa, we better mention the the how the French one thousand guineas. Sorry, the the set the San Allery winner, uh, Jenna Rose, because she she could be. We'll hear more about her later in the season. She she's very very good, I'd say. By Frankel again, um, she's three from three, um, done this, you know, very very snugly, um, by three parts of a length, and yeah, I'd say like she she it wouldn't be a million to one now for her to end up rocking up in a, in an arc at the end of the season. I'd say she could be very very nice. Okay. And a, sh- a shout out, sorry Vanessa, to, 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 a shout out to Christopher Hedge. The head dynasty is in, in rude health, isn't it? Uh, the, Kicking the, on. The, yeah, the, the, the blue rock and the, the blue rose said, I must say, um, blue rose said, I'm delighted. Uh, she, she's she's trained on by Churchill, physical phenom. We love to see his genes coming coming through. And out of a Jeremy Mare, Jeremy, Jeremy's some <laughs> stallion, isn't he? But, but, Grand national, wi- grand oh, national thanks. winners, damn sires of uh, French 1000 guineas winners, run through walls for you. Yeah, yeah so, so, so I quite enjoyed that uh, Sunday in long Versatile. Right, lads, let's move on because, as I say, lots of topics. So on to news we go. And there's a lot of Irish focus here. Uh, we are going to kick off with the media rights situation in Ireland, which um, had a bit of a shake-up, I think it's fair to say, this week, as the United Irish Racecourse Group, which comprises the five smaller tracks in Ireland, have essentially rejected the new media rights deal that HRI put forward. So now there is a breakaway group of racecourses in Ireland that are in the market for a new media partner because they were not happy with the proposal put forward for the collective group, which, of course, they have always been in Ireland, whereas over here we have different racecourses doing different things with their media rights. And as a result, the two separate channels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Kevin, we better start with you here. What does this mean? There seems to be a lot of upset from the authorities. There seems to be a lot of people high up in Ireland not happy with this breakaway group. And what happens now? What are the stages going forward? Um, yeah, like really, really punchy stuff this now. Um, look, it has been brewing. Um, you know, that United Irish Race Courses was formed, you know, go back a few months. You know, they've been public um, in articulating their the, the reasons why they came together. Um, the, the I suppose the, the arguments that they had um, plenty were speculating that it was just a bit of, um, what would you call it? Um, okay. a, bit, a, a, a bit of, a, potentially a bit of hot air with a view to negotiating a better deal for, for their tracks. Um, look, they feel that they, that the smaller tracks, um, don't get a good enough deal from, um, the media rights package, packages in general. Um, and look, they, they've, they've put their money where their mouth is and they've made a very, very punchy move. Um, it's unprecedented. Um, as you say, like the, the Irish race courses have always been a, a unified product. Um, and it's, it's set up in legislation to be that way. Um, so look, it's, it wouldn't have been taken lightly now. And it's, it's a very, very punchy move to make. And it, how you assess it, I suppose, depends what angle you come at it from. Um, like from a, from a television point of view, um, you know, one could see lots of upside for the four to five tracks um they'll w- w- now this is all i'm going to operate on the assumption that a deal gets done with, with sky sports racing that a deal has not been done and um so, so that so we have to operate on a level of assumption there but if if a deal does get done um they'll certainly get a great amount of shine a great amount of attention that they arguably wouldn't have got on racing tv um 
there's there's a if you wanted to to get go go a layer deeper there's a potential positives for racing tv and that it, it declutters to an extent um but then there's the other side of it will there be um unintended consequences for those tracks potentially very serious ones because ultimately they have utterly defied horse racing ireland in doing this and unlike in the uk horse racing ireland control the fixtures they control the race program and by defying them, they, they they put themselves at risk of of you know getting getting some ramifications in terms of fixtures, in terms of race programming. So, um, look the the statement that HRI put out, Suzanne Eid, I have never seen anything that remotely resembled the the punchiness of a statement from HRI like this. It, it was lengthy, beyond feisty. It was a the, real. The, the language was was very strong. You know, the like the, the statements you get out of HRI tend to be the, as vanilla as it gets, and this was not now. This this was this was very punchy. It's clearly been um, a, a source of of great um, frustration and anger. I, I dare say in the, in the in the corridor doors of power. And sure, look, um, now is probably not the time to to give a full assessment of it because, like I say, the, these tracks have to figure out a way to get a deal done because the, the legislation dictates that they can't actually negotiate themselves. With um, with with um, Sky Sports Racing, they have to do it through yeah, the media HRI rights committee. Have to do it. Yeah, yeah, so it has to be done through the media rights committee. So now they have the committee that they've um, walked away from. Now have to do the negotiating for them. So it just um, feels so that just feels so strange that they're now trusting people who they're they've essentially put the middle finger up to to now negotiate their deal for them because that's what, as you say, the legislation dictates. But their point is is that they don't they they've lost trust in hri to do them a fair deal surely they're really gonna not trust hri to do them a fair deal now it just well, seems so odd and is the well, this is the government getting involved as well and very there's a lot of layers yeah they've written to the minister for agriculture um to to basically try and get some uh i don't know what you call it some some guarantee of transparency and fairness in the process that's now to come, because like you say, like like this is this is quite messy. And look, the people that would be on, I suppose, to balance it as best they can, the people that would be, you know, up in arms about this break would say that you know, be the fact that Irish race courses have been unified ha- has always been a great point of strength. You know, um, the unified product, the 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 smaller tracks benefiting from being lumped in with the bigger tracks in terms of of clout. And negotiating power, the smaller tracks will that will you know uh, clearly feel that that isn't what hands out in practice. Um, so look, that there's a lot more to come from this. Um, bear in mind that we have, you know, a little bit over six months until the, the current deal expires, and the, these tracks will have to, you know, will want to have something in place by then. Considering that the deal that has just been ratified by the HRI board took literally years to sort out, it was an extremely slow process. Um, this is going to have to be an awful lot faster. Um, so yeah, look, it's 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 unprecedented times. It's 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 interesting times. It could be the greatest thing these tracks ever do. It could be the worst thing they ever do. Um, we're really going to have to wait and see in terms of what deal they can get done, how the process pans out, okay. and then sure, from the beginning of twenty twenty four, it's um it's going to be one assumes uh, a very a very new world for for the Irish media right scene. And sorry, okay. I should say that maybe the biggest ramifications of all will be the next set of negotiations um, five years down the line, because 
um, having always gone as a unified group. Um, I wonder if it goes well for these five tracks, there might there may well be a whole lot of other tracks in Ireland that say, hey, maybe we're maybe we're better off doing our own thing here, for forging our own alliances and uh, looking to looking to um, capitalize on the fact that there's two very, very interested bidders in this process. But look, five years is a, is a hell of a long time in uh, in the world of media rights. So we, we're probably getting ahead of, ahead of ourselves there. TC, I'm going to come to you next on this one. To put it simply, do you think this is a good or a bad move for racing in Ireland as a whole? Do you think they're better together or it's more interesting if they divide and they can, as as Kev said... Look, I, haven't, I haven't got a massive opinion on this other than I'll make, I'll make two very quick points. Um, one is I found the money being... Um, the money being banded around that, you know, these five breakaway tracks could get per fixture was pretty staggering. So 100k was it? What, sorry? What was the number? Did I read 100 grand a, a fixture? That's what I 100 read. Grand, yeah. 100 grand minimum, yeah. I think, is what I was in the press. Yeah. You know, when you ally it to the talk over here about, you know, race courses, you know, not divulging how much they get in media rights, I mean, I just found that staggering. So yeah, I'd, I'd, if I was in a race course group, uh, a race course, I'd do my own thing. And two, very simply, I come across this as a punter, and I don't watch a lot of racing now. That I watch probably less racing during the week than I used to. But anything that takes away from racing TV and gives to Sky Sports Racing, given the congestion on racing TV, has to be a good thing. Because you know, if you're one of those five tracks, how much coverage are you getting? How much? coverage you're getting in the build-up to the races, how much coverage you're getting after the race, the assessments. So anything that takes away from racing TV and gives to Sky Sports Racing in the current congestion uh, uh, situation has got to be a good thing uh, for punters <laughs> and viewers. Just a quick example there on this, and we'll, we'll talk about it in more detail, Vanessa, but we're, we're going to talk about a very contentious um, stewards inquiry at Killarney yesterday. And just to give that as an example, um, like extremely contentious, and I fast, I, I, I missed it live. I rewound on racing TV, watched the race, and I fast forwarded through the next 40 minutes to see did they show a head on or a replay or anything. And, and they never did because they never had a chance. There was, there was two, there was just race, 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 race. Okay. And um, like on social media, like no one was really talking about the race. And I'm like, Jesus, this is, this is one of the more contentious ones you'll ever see. And there was never even a clip put up on, on Twitter of, of the, of the incident or anything. I just, just thought it was a small example. Yeah. Just, just very quickly. And I think privately, a lot of people, presenters and pundits on racing TV would welcome this kind of like culling and, and sharing out of fixtures because, you know, you know, if you are, if people, if, you know, if you're on course, and you're you're broadcasting to racing TV online. You are you know you're literally broadcasting to one man and his dog. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I can see that angle in Brendan. From your point of view, have you been for me personally? As Kevin touched upon there, the quotes coming out of HRI, like I get it, they're unhappy, but at the same time. You know, they surely want the best for Irish racing as a whole. I've been shocked by some of the wording of the quotes, as Kevin touched upon, and the strength of their upset in regards to this breakaway group. Have you been surprised about the reaction here? Well, I've been surprised by the re reaction because, as, as Kevin 
says they they don't normally say much whether it's going whether they've had a success or a disaster uh, they're not great about getting their message across but i'm delighted that they did put out such a such a strong message because the the real uir as we, we were talking about this a few a few weeks before and has raised its ugly head and i just feel like what what are the what are these tracks looking at what do they have to compare they, they, they come out and they say Oh well, we think that HRI are taking too much rate, and too much money is going, or too many fixtures are going towards the bigger tracks. Okay, what sort of a utopia do they want to live in? HRI is, is a semi-state, effectively. It's not going to be run as efficiently and, and and be as lean as perhaps something in the private sector. There's going to be an element of jobs for the boys and one hand washing the other. That's just the way life is. Just give up on this utopia. What they need to do is just to do a black and white comparison between what jurisdiction can Ireland realistically compare itself to? What other country isn't uh, a, a tote monopoly? And they look at England. Now, I know that England don't get, get the subsidy from the government, so it's not exactly comparing like with like, but effectively, in terms of media rights and revenue for, for, from betting, it's the jurisdiction they can most compare it to. And the thing's a complete mess. And one of the reasons it's a complete mess is because it's so factionalised. The tracks are off doing their, 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 their own thing. And then Kevin talked about unintended consequences. So then you, you get this uh, horseman's group and you get all these uh, d- different groups and all these different acronyms. And it's a complete disaster. What you want is in England, what I think would solve a lot of problems over there is uno duce, uno voce. That's what you need. That's what the HRI had. And now they've lost it. And I, as an Irish racing fan, I take the point about watching racing on television, but I can always find a way to watch racing TV on, on, online if I want to see the horses beforehand. I, I, I can get around that. And just from, I feel like HRI are generally doing a very good job and Irish racing is in rude health, certainly compared to the jurisdiction that you could realistically compare it to. And I think this is a bad thing for Irish racing. Okay, very clear, bad negative view from Brendan then. Um, let's move on and talk about, as I said, it's Irish racing to the fore here. Um, Irish stewarding. I think we're going to couple these topics together in, in one. Kev Blake puff his, puffs his cheeks out. <laughs> rubs his chin in, in alarm, I think, here. Okay, so the topics we have to discuss. Charles Burns, in the news again, has got a fine and a ban for the running and riding of one of his horses. Um, an apprentice jockey has got a pretty hefty ban, and he, Charles Burns, has got a pretty hefty fine. The horse can't run a certain amount of days because the stewards deemed that he wasn't um, putting his best foot forward, essentially, and we've seen this before with Charles Burns. I think that is fair to say. Um, Rachel Blackmore in the Kilbegan stewards room because they thought that she had mistook the winning post on the set before, well, a circuit too early, essentially. She said she didn't, that it was the way she rode the horse. She drove it on because she wanted to and then it was Larry in front so she let it drop back into the field but people plenty of people not believing that explanation of her riding said horse at Kilbegan and then on top of that last night we saw a pretty serious piece of interference in the race that Saldier won uh, between himself and the second horse at the final fence where Saldier basically took out the horse that finished the nose second and the stewards had no intention of reversing or looking at that um, piece of interference. So 
Where to start here, Kev? Are we tackling these as individual topics? How do you want to do this? Yeah, I can bump through them fairly fast there. Um, like the Charles Burns one, Elat is the, is the horse's name, uh, E-L-L-A-A-T, um, and got done for non-trying at Gorham, had been a very significant eye-catcher the time before. The stewards had had them in and, and gave them a feral grilling the time before, and, and it ultimately let it go, but not this time. Um, they they really wielded a heavy hammer now and and, and gave very heavy punishments to to all involved. Um, the despite um, usually I say usually more often than not in the past, if a trainer is um, is willing to throw the jockey under the bus in these cases, they can largely escape um, punishment. But um, despite Charles's efforts to do so here, he still got he still got punished. Um, it was a shocker. Looked looked awful. Um, looked awful the time before, to be brutally honest. Um, not like it was a million to one either. You know, hundred to thirty the time before, three to one five this time. Just you, you just can't have it. You just can't have it. Looks terrible, tastes terrible, is terrible. Um, Stewart did the right thing this time, and um, okay, I don't so think I, 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 I don't. I, I, yeah, I don't think I don't think anyone involved can can have any kind of any qualms here. Like Jesus, it was. Yeah. Um, it looked it looked awful, you know. The 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 um the, you know the, the jockey couldn't pull the horse up after the line, you know, disappeared into the distance down the back straight, you know, full of running. Yeah, yeah. just just horrendous. Okay, so that's a clear cut case and a heavy punishment that everyone seems to agree was justified. The Rachel Blackmore incident had, is is a lot more interesting, and of course now, even though the stewards decided to let her off. Um, now the bigger authorities have got involved and are looking into the incident. Yeah, sure. This was kind of a bizarre one, wasn't it? Um, like Kilbegan, tight enough track, short enough circuit, race over three miles. Um, it it certainly looked like Rachel might have miscounted and, and looked to to finish the race a circuit early like you you would see like really clear cut examples of this like Neil Callum was one a few months ago where he essentially rode a full finish a circuit too soon this was this wasn't Rachel riding a full finish but it was certainly asking her horse um forward with a circuit to race and then after she passed the winning post easing up you know I think the stewards were extremely kind in um in in like they even said that they weren't entirely convinced by her explanation, yeah. which was that which was that she wanted the race to be run at a true pace and looked to inject a bit of pace and the horse got leery, so she eased back up. Um, like it, it, you know, you have you have to call a spade a spade. It did read like dog ate my homework type thing. Uh, I was very surprised that they that they that they let her essentially. I think most people were. Um and look, the IHRB are going to look at it and um, you'd be surprised if they didn't retrospectively um, give her a punishment. Let's move world. on. Um, interference, then. You want to poke at stewards. Now's your opportunity, Kev. Saldier, yeah. well, go back and watch the race. Should the second <laughs> have been handed the race in the stewards' room? Yeah, like if the Rachel Blackmore incident wasn't quite the clear, the the the, the, the clearest of cuts, yeah, this, this I, I just thought this was remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> the winning, you were so the winning. shocked by this. You were you were on the WhatsApp group like in absolute shock and dismay, essentially. Like this should have been the easiest, most clear-cut stewarding decision of all time. It really, it really should have. The winning margin is a nose, 
And at the final defense, Saldier has jumped violently right, hanging into Vinar Danza, who has come back and got stuck in the finish. And a nose, I didn't see the photo finish. I assume we're talking of a winning margin here in literal terms of an inch or maybe two inches. And if you think what happened that horse at the last didn't cost him an inch or two, you are not a resident of planet Earth. And <laughs> before before anyone says, well, the, 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 winner, the winner lost ground by jumping right. Um, as I've said before in this podcast, Vanessa, read the rule book. You do not... Um, you do not consider the ground that the that the perpetrator lost in the maneuver when assessing whether he has improved his position or not. You know, you 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 cannot count that. That that's it. That's literally in the rule book, black and white. Um, the runner up there has been, and I know some might say, and you hear this line of reasoning in these situations sometimes. Well, the runner up had half the run in to go and beat him fair and square, but again, that's not terribly relevant. You know, you're dealing with the interference. Did that cost him more than a nose? I'd say it cost him more than a length, to be honest. Like this, this wasn't close. <laughs> and apparently, and I wasn't watching this live. I had to go back and watch it later on. And, and I believe it took something like 10 minutes for them to even call a steward's inquiry, which, which is just mind, which is just mind blowing. And like I, I had zero dog in this fight now. But if I was in any way connected with the runner-up, if I've had a few quid on the runner-up, like this is just this is just utterly depressing because this should have been this should have been so it should have been so easy to sort. Just very out. quickly, we just expand upon the point you made earlier about about TV. If the TV uh, racing TV had enough time, they should have been bang on that straight away and. The, the coverage would, would, would have emanated straight back down to the stewards and they would have called it straight away and then they had a, a big wider discussion about that. It happens just, in all the time. Okay. When, a, when a referee or, or anything misses something, on, and I watch, I watch rugby matches all the time, if the commentators kick up a real fuss, whether it's kind of like by fair means or foul, that analysis, immediate analysis by the, by the, uh, by the commentators or the pundits, find its way to the TMO uh, who immediately calls it. It happens all the time, whether or not it should in that due process. And, and that's what I say. And like I say, if Racing TV would have been all over this straight away, I can guarantee you the stewards would have got wind of that and would have been on it. Bang. Just, just did, anyone see, did anyone see the betting on this live? Well, if I could just try and piece the whole thing together, because I was also watching golf and cycling at the time, but I watched the race live. And Kevin O'Ryan, in fairness, and doing the analysis now, I, I, I was watching it on uh, Tinchnet, so I don't know what happened back in the, in the studio, whether they were still live. But he was talking to the, the lady who was beside him, whose name I can't remember. And he said, oh, he wasn't as dogmatic as you, but he was there. Oh, he has interfered with the, with, with the second or the last. And she said, well... It, it happened in midair, etc. This the, the, this special tiara debate. So I just put up a tweet to say, you know, is is midair interference effectively international waters? Uh, and then uh, if so, Saldi has to go. Granted, then I left and I went back and I was watching the cycling and the golf. Uh, was I watching anything? I was trying to watch three three things at once. But a guy got back to me then. And he said it looks like they're not even going to call the stewards now. And then I, I wasn't on Twitter for about half an hour. And then 10 minutes later, he said, no, they've called the stewards now. It's 3.2 Saldier to keep the race. 
And then a couple of minutes later, he said, it's into 2.8 now. I think it will keep the race because of the international water drought. So I didn't actually see it in real time. But if you can believe this guy who was kind enough to reply to me on Twitter, that's what happened. It took 10 minutes to raise it, despite Kevin O'Reilly raising it in his post-race analysis almost immediately. And then I don't even know how Betfair managed to reopen it, because normally what happens on Betfair is if, if it isn't kept open, then they don't reopen for stewards and quarries, but they obviously managed to reopen. So fair play to them. The, 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 what happens in those circumstances, if they settle the market immediately, they're in the specials, there's a, a horse to keep the race. So ah, they, they, right. Okay. Okay. So there is, it's not, okay. you can't trade against your pre, pre-race position, but you can trade the market afresh on a different. Oh, that's what, that's what, yeah. Way. yeah, just, just, just with regard to, just with regard to the midair stuff, like I think midair, um, is international waters to an extent with regard to rider offenses, but it's not with regard to interference and assessing results. Okay. Like, we, like the, I suppose the, the extreme example of it that, that we had on the WhatsApp group yesterday was the Pipe Piper Night Salute one of the entry last year, yeah. but, but there was like very minimal mid-air interference like tiny compared to this but because it was a dead heat the the rationale was if any interference at all has been deemed to take place that clearly makes enough difference to, to a pixel of a difference but this was a nose and <laughs> it cannoned into him you know i i just thought this was i i thought okay. this, this this would this would be a certainty to be overturned on appeal surely and well yeah time will tell so messy waters when it comes to irish stewarding currently murky waters i should say um let's move on to a few owners in britain tc marwan kukash has been declared bankrupt chester poster boy for many years media sort of uh media seemed to have a bit of a love affair with marwan kukash this time around, his colours nowhere to be seen because he has been removed as a registered owner in British horse racing and he has been declared bankrupt. And then on top of that, we haven't heard anything about John Dance for a little while. Do you have an update on that? It's not a great look for racehorse ownership when these people who are sort of um, not made poster boys, but, you know, they're, they're loud voices. They're sort of at the forefront of media coverage. And it's a little bit of a dirty look, isn't it? Yeah, well, Kukash, it sounds like he filed for bankruptcy in June 2022. Hasn't had a runner since November. It's just taken to, to the Chester May meeting. Someone went up on Twitter when the entries came out and said, where's Kukash? So then a belated kind of like uh, investigation and we, we, got, we got the details. Now, you know, obviously Marwan Kukash has been... You know, there's been rumours going about his his payments, etc. For ages. I mean, I I used to follow rugby league quite a lot, and his involvement with Salford Reds was was uh, yeah problematical, shall we say? And yeah, and like it's it's and I don't know if you remember a year ago. I think we touched upon in this program. He had a Ian Williams late one night had a real go at Marwan Kukash about you know training fees, etc. It was a real public spat, and nobody really picked up on it. So. This isn't wasn't this isn't really you know massive news as such, but you know it was it was a belated story there, and obviously you know he's he's went out of the game and yeah, and it, it links into John Dance obviously, and I was very surprised when watching um, again it's, you get stories about John Dance in the last year or so, not necessarily from racing circles but financial circles about about you know his uh, about his situation and. 
But I was very surprised when Rafe Beckett said on uh, Nick Luck's Sunday programme two or three weeks ago, saying, oh, there's been rumours about John Dance not paying training fees for ages. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm uh, paraphrasing that correctly. So well, that that was surprising to me. And it, it just goes on to the, you know, the everyone, you know, obviously the affordability checks is, is bang in the news at the moment. It just seems that some owners, um, some owners are kind of like, maybe cosseted by the media when, when all these rumours come about. Now, quite rightly, because you can't go on and question somebody without the actual pro- uh, the facts, but we all know here now there's a lot of rumours circling about a current big owner, uh, about owing trading fees and um, owing, you know, sales companies and stuff like that. So it's, it's something that the media's got to be aware of uh, before bigging up these people, because obviously some owners coming into this, and you, you know, you'd all know better than I do. I mean, the amount of credit that seems to be given to people at sales uh, companies and, uh, and and yearling sales and the like, it seems to be kind of eye popping. So it's a wonder why you don't get more people knocking uh, and, and going bankrupt on the back of these. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a big issue for the sport. Yeah, I think uh, yeah yeah. I mean, it is a big issue. But you know, on the rumours comment. Like they are only rumours. There's plenty of rumours about all of us, I would imagine, that are, are far from true. And so, you know, I'm I'm fact-based no, person. No, I, I take that, but obviously the, the, we won't mention the owner at the moment, but the owner at the moment has got a very big uh, media profile. They get a lot of airtime. I know a lot of love on the racing channels and ITV. Uh, they'd be aware of the rumours as well. So maybe just pull back a little bit on on, on the love uh, because, like I said, there seems to be a bit fair bit of substance to some of these rumours, and it's just it's something they've just got to be aware of. Okay, we need to move on because uh, Barry or will be doing his nut when he listens back to this. We're already over the hour mark, guys, over the hour mark. Um, let's talk a very quick mention about Sylvester de Souza because obviously he moved over to Hong Kong last year. He's been having a relatively successful time over there. And now he's been slapped with a 10-month ban from the Hong Kong Jockey Club on, on, a, on a betting charge, essentially. Uh, this isn't that he had a bet or that he did anything wrong in a race. He's not been found guilty of anything like that. But obviously, they're very strict with their betting. It's an involvement in a betting syndicate where he was even just aware of the conversations by all accounts. I mean, to be honest with you, it's not entirely clear what he's done wrong here, Brendan. Um, but either way, he's got a 10-month ban that I, I presume he's going to appeal, even though he has said that he's guilty. Is that right? It seems very... Yeah, yeah, well, I, I, well I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he should bother appealing. He's absolutely zero chance. So my reading of it was facilitated the bet. So another Brazilian jockey was backing his own horse to win. So he was actually... Sort of, but- so that lad was having a bet and he's only got a year ban. Then our yeah. lad wasn't having a bet, but he's got 10 months. Well, no, Hannah, you see, you're coming at this from a very different racing jurisdiction, as are the two Brazilian lads. I understand where you're coming from, Vanessa. So we said, oh, the, the jockeys can't bet. And I, you know, I, I, absolutely. But if this came out in Ireland or England, well, you get a ban, you get a slap on the wrist. Seriously, because we know arguably the jockey he backed the horse he was trying even harder on, on, on this horse nothing that you need to have a bet over there with the, with the wild prize money but the reason they have the wild well one of the reasons they have the wild prize money is that the punters have absolute faith in the betting product over there and the way they police that is draconian 
But you know that when you're going over there to write, this has happened before. And like, all right, so he put his mate in touch with a guy who organized getting his few quid on so that no one knew, but ultimately someone did you know because the uh, Hong Kong Jockey Club are such a powerful organization and they have spies everywhere. And I feel like I, 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 I'm coming at it from the same jurisdiction as you, but I feel like you have to know the game over there and there's a reason why you can make so much money out there as a jockey. And this is one of the reasons the Hong Kong Jockey Club believe that they have the cleanest betting product in the world and they're probably right. And this is how they enforce the rules. So we should have known better. So to be clear, sorry, what exactly did Sylvester do? That's, that's what well, we don't well, know. It's, well, it says facilitated the bet. So I'm just uh, trying to interpret the word facilitated. That, that, that's yeah. true. I don't actually know. No. Okay. Um, more to come on that, but it sounds like his 10 months will stand by all Yeah, I tell you, ju- just just very quickly, on Vanessa, isn't it mad how, how they do things differently over there? Like, this race only happened about, like, three or four weeks ago, and the case yeah, is already yeah. wrapped, wrapped up, yeah. done and dusted. Jeez, if, we, if it was over here, we'd still be hearing about it in three years' time. <laughs> we'd, hear, we'd only hear about it for the first time in three yeah. years' time, <laughs> Kevin. They um, do right, not we, mess about. No messing. But he'd have known that going out there. So I think there's more to come on this. And it'd be interesting to see exactly what he did because that is not that clear right now. Um, Let's move on because we need to wrap up the show, but we've got five good questions. So we are going to kick off with Gary DC, who has asked the big question. This is not a tame question. This is the big one. Does racing have a moral compass? <laughs> Uproar at animal rights protesters, however, no issue with the Dubai ruling family and their alleged behaviours over decades. TC, it's only right we come to you about this because this is something you bring up on the podcast with regularity. I don't really, but it's like I said, we've, we've, we've missed so many kind of light subjects this week. I wanted to talk about James Horton. I wanted to talk about US racing. Uh, there was an eighth death at Churchill last night. Wanted to talk about the McNeil family, but we'll deal with this. Um, basically, this is this is on the back of um, of fugitives of. Um, let me just get this get this up here, so I don't. The fugitive princesses of Dubai. It's a story in the New Yorker last week. It would take you hours to read, but you should read it. It's it's about what's happened in Dubai and Sheikh Mohammed's daughters and family, etc. So that's this is what's brought it into the. In, into the main into the mainstream and we got quite a few questions on it as we did about Charles Burns and um and Rachel Blackmore it's just yeah it's it's just shocking uh, and it ties in with you know what's a fit and proper owners test etc we know nothing is going to go on uh but you know I know we stretch for time but just go and read that story take an hour out of your day and read that story and uh, and you just decide whether, I mean, nothing's going to happen to him because, like I said, he owns half of Newmarket. You know, the, the support and the finance he gives, he gives to Newmarket and the sport is, is phenomenal. But should we be applauding him? After military orders um, win on Saturday, I mean, the BHA sent out a tweet, you know, with a lot of love emojis, a lot of blue and love emojis about how good old tagging in them about how good that performance was. I mean, just read the room. I mean, like I said, I mean, I know they have to, they can't come out and, and publicly condemn him, but don't publicly applaud him uh, after just read that story. I mean, obviously, it's like I, I honestly, when I 
Charlie Appleby seems a lovely bloke, uh, as the whole operation is, but they're just tainted. For my for my for my for my money, they are tainted. And I can't if military order wins the derby, even if I backed him, I won't be out there cheering on a chair. Okay. Anthony Ryan has asked, what's your opinion on how Warwick in particular treat owners? Now I've missed this story of something bad's happened at Warwick. Anyone? Um yeah, um sorry if, no, if nobody else got basically um a guy called David Parry, who is a regular uh, emails in for questions and stuff basically he had a runner at warwick uh it was a non-runner in the morning because it was lame and he had four owners badges uh uh organized but yeah. they were downgraded to general admission after the horse got pulled out lame and he was like kicking off at that uh nevin truesdale uh, jockey club was he is a chairman ceo he actually mm. went on there and actually you know had a conversation with him fair credit to him especially over the weekend and he just says look we've there's got to be some common sense here um and we all know about we can all tell you stories about people in you know entering horses at the likes of royal ascot and cheltenham there is a lot of owners and trader uh badges abuse and ne what nevin was saying is look there's got to be some kind of like common sense on the day if they're if he's really busy if they're oversubscribed you know, maybe general admission is, is what you should be doing. Now, David was coming back and said, you know, we've already organised a day. You know, we wanted our lunch. We wanted some drinks, etc. That's not unreasonable. It's not our fault. The horse was lame. Uh, and there, there was a back and forth on this. I can see both sides of it. I mean, if you are penalised for a horse being injured on the day and having to be pulled out once you've got your day planned, I can see that might be a bit of a ball ache. But I can yeah. certainly see from Jockey Club Racecourse's point of view and other courses' point of view that, you know, I, I think there's got to be some give and take here. I think that's, yeah, I, I can see how your man would be pissed off. Because, because you, look, we've, we, we all heard stories about, oh, entering for Royal Ascot, maybe pull him out on the day, get the six owners and trainers badges, get treated like a lord. Whether or not owners should be treated like that, day in, day out, is, is another matter altogether. So I can see both sides of this, but fair play for Nevin Truesdale to coming out and, and explaining their position. Okay. Deja has asked one for you, Kev. Question for Kev with regard to the European Pattern Race Committee. What's the logic behind the Group 1 status of the Brissant Allery, which is essentially a trial for the Diane? Diane surely it should be a Group 2 at best. Um, it rates as a Group 1 race. Um, that, that's, the, that's the beauty about the European pattern, that it's, it's merit-based. And um, if a race isn't performing, it gets downgraded. If it is performing, it stays put. You can see the logic in in it being a group two because it is essentially a trial. But it, but it, it's, it stands up. I had a look at the ratings the last five years and that like it, it does stand up quite well. It would compare well to you know a comparative race like the Irish Oaks, which which comes a little bit later in the year. Um, so yeah, it's it's basically it has that status because it, it earns us consistently. Okay, that's a fair simple answer. Daniel Broder has asked. Why does Luke Coma work how he does? Today he sent a 70-rated six-year-old full horse that he bred himself to a group two in Germany that he appears to sponsor. That's the second time that horse has gone to that race too. Any answers, Brendan? Well, uh, Luke is our correspondent's name, is it? No, Daniel. Daniel, Daniel apologies. Well, Daniel, Luke Comer very much paddles his own canoe. You might remember a horse called Chimes at Midnight. He was, he, you know, he was well-bred horse. He was third in a ledger, but his form tailed off really badly. And he was running them all over all sorts of trips. And 
Um, it, it, anyway, he retired him to stud, and I wouldn't say there were many outside mares, if any outside mares, but Luke supported him himself and there was some very mediocre progeny of chimes at midnight on the track then uh, for a few years but what i would say is that this man and his brother uh they're tradesmen of some description i'm not sure exactly but they went over yeah they're they're, they're build they're builders yeah oh they're, they're, they're builders they went over to london in in the 60s or 70s as builders with not a lot of money and now they own half of london so paddling is his own canoe i don't think it works in racing but I wouldn't mind being a fiver behind them. But he's, yeah, they're, 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 they're he's probably like, having a nice time of it too. Yes. So yeah, good luck to him. Yeah, yeah. It, it is what it is. What the, one of the, the great um, oddities, I suppose, of Irish racing, the, the Colmer brothers. And uh, like they are like some of the most successful business people in the country, like in international property. Like they're, they're like literally billionaires a number of times over. And they've been involved in, in racing like for decades, but they've always kind of done things a bit differently. And um, they like they own a huge amount of um, properties, like racing properties around the country now. And um, they they've built this. They bought a place a place that has a really interesting history. Actually, Kilturnan, um, quite quite close to Leopardstown, it has kind of a checkered history of being developed as a hotel and kind of it's had some horror stories attached to it. Tens of millions being spent on it and they're going skint, etc. They bought it and they built a training yard and it got this gallop up a hill, like a phenomenal gallop. Like right in the on the edge of Dublin, and um, Jim Go- Jim Gorman trains there for them. Jim Gorman, who would have had plenty of winners in his own name, and um, and they've been having more winners of late. But they they have a big breeding operation, and they they buy you know they bought Dick Whittington and a few horses like that at the horse and training sale, and they cover their own mares and and they, they do their own thing, and it, it, it's very left field. Um, they don't and have I a like huge that. amount of. Yeah. Well, they don't have a they don't have a huge amount of winners. Like it's one of those they have they have so much dough that if they went at it in a more orthodox way, like there's absolutely no question that they could be very very serious players on the international scene. But um, they're clearly they've like I say, okay. it's not like they've just blown in doing it this way. They've been doing it for decades, and it it suits them. I'm amazed I've never heard more of them. They're saying quite, I'm going to have to Google and have a look, have a read of them. Sound fascinating. A little bit of a deep dive for you, TC. Uh, but we like somebody a bit different in the game. It's no bad thing. We're all the same. We're terribly boring. Um, last question coming your way, TC. Sam Hill. Do trainers really put us away with saying what ground horses operate on? Appleby stating that Hurricane Lane needs soft ground. Then it runs like a pig on soft ground and wins next time on good ground. I mean, that is a bad recent example. And it did seem like a pretty pathetic excuse at Newbury. I think think if you interview a trainer immediately after the race, they'll be scrambling around for any excuse. Um, So, yeah, I mean, just take away... Take away the, the trainer comments and just the form books there. Um, you know, and you you can make your own mind. I know the going descriptions we get officially recorded are are not ideal, but time form is always a good backup to that. I always look at the official going description and then use time form. And often there's a big difference between what's officially recorded and what time form actually think actually happened on the day. So um, yeah, make your mind up. Make your mind up. Uh, own mind up. If trainers wants to make excuses about going, etc., um, just use your eyes, uh, use your own eyes and ears. Okay, that wraps up our questions and wraps up the show. As a result, 
Boys, thank you so much. Without Barry here, we've been let off on a loose leash and have gone way over time. But anyway, we've all enjoyed ourselves. So that's the main thing. Uh, thank you for your contributions as ever. We'll be back later in the week for AC Only Better. So look forward to that. But for now, that was Betfair's Wade in podcast. Have a good week, one and all. <laughs>